Happy New Year on it's, late. it's almost February. Uh, welcome back. And I just thought of this. I think we, for the new year in 2016, should rename the bad podcast to the dab podcast. Because first of all, it puts my initial first. There you go. Uh, which, <laughs> which is the entire an, motivation. Which is basically all. Yeah. But, um, but also, Urban Meyer has dabbed twice now. He did it after the Michigan game and after the bowl game. But I think we may have missed the window because dabbing is dead now, right? No, it's not. I it's was not. actually... It's no, it's not. It's, yeah, it's... So I sleep with the television on. I like watching like Family Guy and like old sitcoms before I fall asleep. And then I wake up in the morning and those sitcoms turn into like the Maury show. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I woke up... You mean you morning. wake up at 11 o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> I, wait, yeah, I stay up late and then I wake up late. All right? No. This isn't about my sleeping pattern. It's about the story. And you know how they do it on the Maury show? You are not the father. Yeah. I saw a human being yesterday dab on television after he was not the father. <laughs> okay. I feel So I think then. we're alive in that. Okay. I also don't think that you just thought of that. I think you've been sitting on it's that. It's been stewing us since we come six back months. <laughs> Landis has covered this team for like two years. He gets his initial first. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so we're going to try the dab podcast. Last time we had a podcast, I think I cried. Because no one listened to it. <laughs> and someone had sent me an email about uh, how we could get more listeners, and I think I, I still need to read the whole email. But maybe we'll try the renaming it, the Dab Podcast, and see what happens. We'll put a picture of Urban Meyer Dab. Google Analytics. Top. You can't put the periods in the Dab. Just like Dab. Well, yeah, just do da- we'll just do yeah, the Dab. They the made dab. us put the periods in before. Yeah, and take the out so that anybody who searches Dab, it comes up in Google News. Now we're getting it. Okay. okay. There's a, a lot of pressure on me with the SoundCloud page. <laughs> We're all dabbing right now. I wish you could see it. Um, but anyway, I'm Doug Maurice. I'm the D. <laughs> Ari Wasserman is here. He's the A. And Bill Landis bringing up the rear. Uh, he's the B. And we're going to talk Ohio State football. We have not podcasted in a long time, right? We haven't podcasted since the Fiesta Bowl win? It's been a year. It's been a year. Um, so we have some things to go over. We're going to catch you up with some things that have happened um, with Ohio State football, signing day is right around the corner. Um, we'll have a, a future podcast dealing more specifically with that. And, of course, you can always read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, but one big thing that's happened since we last spoke at you is changing the offensive coaching staff. And we had seen Urban Meyer, and he had been asked about coaching changes, and he kind of said, no, there are not going to be any coaching changes, and then there were coaching changes. Um, and the main thrust is to get Ed Warner into the coaching box during the game to call plays from upstairs instead of being on the sideline. But um, one big change is that he's not going to coach the offensive line anymore. And I think in the four years of the Urban Meyer era, I think Ed Warner's work with the offensive line has frankly been one of the defining things of this program. They've had a lot of success there. Um, when Tom Herman left and they talked about Ed Warner taking over more play calling, something Urban Meyer emphasized was that, you know, he didn't care about the play calling as much as he cared about the offensive line coaching. He wanted Ed Warner there with his guys. And now Ed Warner's not going to be there anymore. And somebody else is. So, Bill, you are our official offensive line reporter. Um, what did you think of this move? And I, on purpose, have avoided saying the name yeah, of the I new coach. Because uh, I'm not exactly sure I'm going to pronounce it right, so I'm going to leave it to you to pronounce the last name of the new offensive line coach. That's pretty mean. I think I was like waiting for you to say his name. I know. Yeah. I was Danced around on. it. I was asking some people 
uh, who are familiar with LSU when Coach, you mean Ryan Ginn? Yeah, <laughs> when Coach Stud was there. That's what I'm going to call him. I think it's Stadrara. <coughs> I think I don't know Coach Stud. Coach Stud. That's what his Twitter handle is. Because I saw a pronunciation guide that didn't make sense. Like the I thought the last syllable, the way it was spelled out. As you would pronounce it, was like unpronounceable. It was like the the syllable. It was like a h. So the one. It's like stradaa. Stradra. So the one purpose of the pronunciation guide is to aid you in pronouncing it. Yeah, and it made it did not serve its purpose. No, it confused me even more. So, um, all right. So Coach Stud, we're all right with Coach Stud. Going Greg Stud. Yeah, Uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I I thought everyone probably assumed that they were they were have to find some way to keep Ed Warner up in the coach's box. I think the way it went down is probably different from what everyone expected. Maybe it's different from what we expected too. But Urban Meyer was was has always been very uh, very high on the way Ed Warner handled the offensive line. Like you said, it's been very impressive over the first four years, and I think he did a pretty good job of going out and finding a guy who's an established offensive line coach who has kind of the same sort of pedigree and credentials, if you will, that, that Ed Warner has. Um, coach Stud. Uh, has had some pretty good offensive lines. Um, he's had some been in charge of some good offenses when he was at BG and he was the OC at, at LSU for a while. But I think that he's had some guys go to the NFL. He's, I think, known from what I could tell as a guy who who maximizes potential, which is what I think Ed Warner was really good at. He got guys to gel together and, and, and sort of play to their best when he was at Ohio State and was a real strong point in the team. So I think in that regard... They did a pretty good job if you're going to replace Ed Warner. I think they found a good guy to do that. And Ari, something that had come up a lot was whether Tim Beck was going to be back for a second year, the quarterback's coach who came in to replace Tom Herman. Um, that certainly would have been some, a way they could have gone here. That the, the move is to make Ed Warner the tight ends coach. Tim Hinton goes to an administrative role, um, and they bring in Coach Stud for the offensive line. But if you were going to bring Ed Warner away from the offensive line, you also – could have made Ed Warner the play caller and quarterbacks coach. He has coached quarterbacks before. You could have gotten rid of Tim Beck and made this same move in bringing in a new offensive line coach. Are you surprised that Tim Beck will be back for year two? Would you have thought that maybe that move, moving Ed Warner to quarterbacks coach, might have been more of a possibility? And maybe would, would that have been a better move? Well, or think, do you think this makes sense? I think it, it, it makes sense if you want to look back and maybe think about what the actual issue was last year. Was the issue that the quarterback play was poor, or was yes. it a... It was. In my mind. So, and, and I, I think that the play calling, for whatever reason, whether or not that's what we think or not, is kind of the problem that they identified as a staff. Because or that's the message that Urban Meyer sent when he made these changes, that he felt that the play calling was the bigger issue and the game day flow of the play calling than actually the development of the quarterbacks, which I think is debatable. So I am a little surprised that uh, Beck is back because I agree with you in the sense that I don't think that the quarterbacks improved the way that they should. If it's even a question at the end of the year, then they didn't, especially when you're dealing with a guy as young as JT. Uh, he, he should have jumped a little bit more than he did. So um, they addressed what they believed and what they identified it was the issue, and I'm surprised that they identified that as their issue and not the quarterback play itself. I mean, I think I feel like the the issue with the play calling kind of sucked all the air out of the room because that, in the end, was an obvious problem with the Michigan State loss, and it wasn't an, an obvious area that improved 
once they put Ed Warner upstairs and we saw the offense play better against Michigan and Notre Dame. So um, that has been the thing that, that has gotten all the attention, and I think it, it should have. It was a move that I thought was too late. I asked Urban Meyer, did he make that move too late? I think if Ed Warner was in the coaching box for Michigan State, they very likely maybe win that game um, because the play calling was a problem. But it wasn't the only problem. Part of the problem was the, the overall quarterback play the whole year, and I don't think either JT Barrett um, – or Cordell Jones played to their potential, played the way they had the year before, and I have to lay part of that at the feet of the guy who's the coach in that room. So, and it has to be. There's no yeah, other way of I doing mean, it. Because if you get credit, if you get credit when the players are good in your position group, then you have to get blame when they're not as good. And they clearly, at quarterback, were not as good as the year before. Well, how much? And I agree. And I am surprised that Tim Beck was back. But do you think maybe he gets? Does he get? Another shot, does he get a longer leash because he entered a pretty screwy quarterback situation when he got here and he was thrown into a room where they didn't know who the starter was and he had that on top of trying to make these guys better? I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but maybe could you see Urban Meyer giving Tim Beck another shot because he was like, you know what, this guy entered a really difficult situation when he first got here. Now let's give him a shot where he knows who the quarterback is. Let's see what he does with JT Barrett going in 2016. And the play calling was part of his play. So assuming that they take... They let, him they focus. let him focus solely on the development of one guy. Because to me, the person who... Urban always says, I evaluate myself harder than anybody will evaluate us. And obviously, he doesn't want to lose again. He can't afford... I mean, they might have... Or they did cost themselves a chance of repeating as national champions because they didn't have things right. Um, but their evaluation of the situation themselves based on their moves is... Things were in the wrong place, so we were going to reorganize the stats so people can focus on what they're best at. And that message is Beck has Urban Meyer's trust and confidence that he can do that. So I think that he is having extra leash. They gave it to him because I think a lot of people thought he was going to be fired. Yeah, I mean, I, I, everybody I think is better in the second year at a job than they are in the first year at a job. So I think any coach will improve You know, when you know the players better, when you know the system better. Um, so Tim Beck will get better. I don't know if you want to be the head coach or you want to be the place that fires assistants after one year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a that's a tough road to go down. Although I think I think it I think you could have done it. I think you could have done it. And and the one thing I want to talk about here is you know there's there's two sides to this. The main side is there was a problem. They identified at least part of the problem, and they they went about making a move to fix that problem. Um, but Tim Hinton is no longer an assistant coach here. Uh, he was the tight ends coach. Um, he had been at Notre Dame, was hired from Notre Dame by Urban Meyer, had been a longtime successful high school coach in Ohio, um, and he's moved out in this transition. Um, he's going to have an administrative job, but there's been enough stuff on Twitter. Nick Vanette, one of the graduating seniors, a tight end, um, wrote on Twitter sort of about how much he liked Tim Hinton and, and seemed to express that, you know, it's sort of unfortunate that a guy um, is sort of moved out in a situation like this. And then it seemed like some Hinton family members had been expressing some things on Twitter, at least at one point, Bill, um, that maybe weren't 100% happy with this. So this is one of two things. This is, this is either being a, a very good program, being aggressive, to fix an issue and doing basically whatever it takes to fix that issue, even if it means sort of moving aside a guy who's been a loyal assistant for four years, and that's the world. Hey, man, it's it's big boy football. They're all making lots of money. This is this is how it works. 
Or is there something else here? Is there some maybe sense of, um, I, mean, I don't know, is there a downside to this at all, in your opinion, Bill Landis, when you have a guy, you know, nobody, I don't know, nobody was saying Tim Hinton's at fault for what's wrong with the Ohio State offense this year, um, but he's the guy who ends up not being an assistant coach anymore. What do you think of how all this transpired? I think it's sort of the, it's the world you agree to live in, I guess, when you, wanted to, when you decide to be a college football coach. Um, from everything I know, like Tim Hinton's a really nice guy. Um, he was always good with us. I know the kids who played at his position, his position group liked him. But I think you have to assess what this offense is. And if you had the rank positions in order of importance, tight end is last. There were two tight ends on the team last year for all intents and purposes, Marcus Ball and Nick Finette. There's going to be three next year with Marcus Ball, Luke Farrell, Two freshmen. And Hausman, the two freshmen yeah. and Marcus Ball. So that's really three. There was one position, position coach in charge of three guys. Well, there's and there's the two other guys who redshirted last year that were Alexander yeah. and uh, And Rashad Barry, Barry who right. I don't think anybody thinks are actually going to be tight ends. they got to be something, but yeah. It's a small room. It's a small, it's a small room, and if Urban Meyer had made the decision that he's not going to get rid of Tim Beck and he had to do some sort of shuffling, I'm not surprised that it was Tim Hinton, not because he's done a poor job from everything I've seen. He's done a fine job with the tight ends. Jeff Hireman was really good in 2014. Um, I thought the tight end blocking got better as the year progressed in 2015. But Tim Hinton to me sort of seemed like the odd man out. And if he was in that, coaching that small position group that's relatively unimportant compared to the other positions, and you can just sort of slide Ed Warner into that role, coaching guys who were ultimately glorified <laughs> offensive linemen anyway, I think it's it's not that all, all that surprising. And I think Tim Hinton was just kind of in a bad spot. Speaking of sort of the way the world works, um, one of the other things that's come up this week is Michigan recruiting, and we know Jim Harbaugh gets a lot of attention, and rightly so, for some of his recruiting methods at Michigan. He's a very dynamic recruiter. He's a very um, creative recruiter, to say the least. But there's been some attention this week on a decommitment from the uh, Michigan class from a Chicago-area kid who had been committed to Michigan um, to Brady Hoke, you know, before Hoke was fired, before they went through the coaching search, before they um, hired Jim Harbaugh, um, this kid, Eric Swenson, was there the whole time. And now he de- decommitted this week and is telling reporters um, that basically Michigan told him there's no room now, late in the process. And last year, um, when Jamel Dean was a kid who had early enrolled at Ohio State. Ohio State told him he was not going to be medically cleared. And his high school coach told me that he was upset about that. And the high school coach felt like it was a numbers game. And Ohio State was using the medical excuse to clear a spot. Um, You know, that's – we wrote about that. Mm -hmm. And I think it is completely fair to hold programs and head coaches, hold their feet to the fire on this stuff because – in this recruiting relationship, the programs and the coaches have the power. They are the experts. They are the ones who make their living doing this. And these high school kids go through it once in their lives. It's their one life to live, their one shot at a career. And they are not experts at the recruiting business the way the programs are. So we wrote about that with Ohio State. Ohio State said that was a medical issue. That was it. There was no ulterior motive. And now we have Michigan with a kid telling reporters that he had been committed since 2013 and now there's no room for him. No medical issues there. Basically them backing off on a kid who had been committed to them through thick and thin. Ari, 
Is this the way the world works? It's certainly not the first time this has happened anywhere. Um, we have maybe have seen it happen with Ohio State at times. Maybe you can go into that. Is how big a deal are we to make of this? Because my instinct, you know, we don't cover Michigan like we cover Ohio State. We do check in on Michigan. But I think it's absolutely fair to hold the programs and the coaches, hold their feet to the fire. They have to be responsible for this. If it comes back on them with high schools or high school coaches no longer trusting them, I would that makes complete sense to me. Is this just the way it is, Ari, or is there something to this that you find problematic? I believe there is something to this. Um, it's not very often, and we've checked in on, on fringe prospects at Ohio State, I mean a few times, um, and it's not often that a kid will come out and just lay it out there the way that Swenson has. I didn't know I was going to have a spot. They never communicated that there was a risk that I might not have a spot. They fell completely deceived, and two weeks before signing day, he doesn't have a spot on it. And that's a problem, because they take away all of his opportunity to take official visits, basically, and to find a new place, and to find a place that's nearly as good as Michigan. Michigan's an elite program. So, um, we've called um, on a few Jamel Dean-type instances, and I have never been able to break through to get somebody to tell me if that, in fact, is what happened at Ohio State, that that's exactly the way it worked. So the closest thing that we ever got was your Jamel Dean interaction with his head coach. Then there was one um, a few years ago um, here, and I'm just blanking on his name right now. You remember? Is it the guy you blanked on? The, the receiver went to Western Michigan? No, no, no. I'm thinking about the one that earned his offer at an Ohio State camp, and I wrote a long story about oh, him. Oh, yeah, the kid from Maryland? The kid from Maryland who flipped and flipped to Indiana. Right, uh, and nobody ben flips to Indiana. Ben Green, something green. Tyler Green, Tyler green exactly, yeah, okay. Sorry, we write a lot of stories. It's not hard to <laughs> the name's and I good. called Tyler Green's mom because I wanted to see if this is the same type of situation. Because you don't often see it in, in, in Lonnie... Lonnie Johnson. Johnson, not Lonnie Chisholm, like I say every <laughs> single time, was another one who flipped to Western Michigan or Western Kentucky. And it's like, that's not the way it works. Um, and we've never really been able to get somebody to ever say, yes, we were pushed out. Not that we're trying to get them, but we'd like to know the truth of what happened. If it the did. truth matters. The truth does matter. Or whatever, so, the clo- as, as close to the truth as you're going to get if, in recruiting. And if they want to make it their truth, that hey, this is, then that's fine. That's up to them. But we do care at Cleveland.com about finding what is actually going on, and we will call. Now, this one is the most blatant one that I've seen from a timing standpoint. From the program he was committed to standpoint, the new coach's standpoint, and how much time is left. Right. To go and the time, it. It's the time the, because the Tyler time. Green, at least, I think was in November or even October, and it gave him plenty of time to re-officially visit and stuff. It's like, you know, so he might end up somewhere, but is he going to end up at LSU or is he going to end up at, and these are made-up schools, or Western Michigan? Right. And, you know, that's a thing. That's a major, major problem. And it's funny because Jim Harbaugh right now is sleeping over at prospects' houses trying to earn trust and show dedication. But on the other hand, this type of stuff is happening, and he deserves to be held accountable for it if, in fact... The problem with this more than anything is that you can only hear one side. Well, well, here's the thing, though. And like you said, you can only hear one side because the coaches can't talk about it yet. They can talk about it on signing day. Which he will, I'm assuming. I'm going to bet he says we don't talk about players who were committed to other schools. I'm going to bet you you don't get a true answer yeah. on the record. He'll be asked. Yeah. I hope he's asked. I'm sure he will be asked. Um, but here's where there is some truth. The truth is... You have a player 
who was committed to a program, who still wants to be committed to the program, and is no longer committed to the program and is complaining about it. And now, also, that is a truth. Whatever the exact yeah. specifics are, you have an angry kid. Just like with Jamel Dean, whatever the specifics were, and Urban Meyer was not thrilled with our story about that at the time, here was a truth. That coach was not happy. Okay, so you can say, yes, there are two sides. Certainly there are two sides. But that's not changing the truth of somebody's mad. And we went through this with Mike Weber, too. It was a different scenario, but it's important to We wrote, I called Cast Tech's high school coach uh, when Mike Weber uh, flipped or was considering flipping to Michigan and then Stan Drayton left two days after he signed or a day after he signed. Day after. It was true that they were upset. And I think that's what you're saying, Doug. The, the, the truth that these things are happening. And, and the thing that most with Michigan in this scenario with Swenson that stands out the most to me, if true, is that the kid tried to talk to Jim Harbaugh and Harbaugh wouldn't take his call. Right. Like he couldn't even get a, an explanation from what was happening or a man-to-man talk. And there's one man and there's one child involved in this situation and the man didn't hold up being a man end of the bargain. Assuming that everything that the kid is saying without hearing the other side of the story is true... That's not the way you handle your business. And some people will argue that, well, kids decommit all the time. Kids change. Dwayne Haskins was committed to Maryland forever. Maryland thought they had their quarterback of the future, and all of a sudden he flips to Ohio State. Where's loyalty there? He's not a millionaire. (laughs) He's not a millionaire. Um, Schools can always find another kid. Schools can always find another kid. And any kid is only... 5% or 4% of your recruiting class. This is 100% of your life when you're the kid. So it is not, and because it is not an equal power dynamic that the school has the power, then it is not an equal complaint dynamic. The school, if a kid flips, the school will be fine. If a school backs out on a kid, you could have messed up that kid's life. You could have... Taking, taking away opportunities to find somewhere else, to find another fit, to find another school or program or because coach where that kid can be as good as he can be. And that, the school owes the kid more than the kid owes the school. And just so we're clear about type of opportunities, I will make up a fake scenario. But it's possible that, let's say, Kentucky was recruiting Swenson. And I haven't looked at his profile or anything. but like, And then they found another offensive lineman while he was held up at Michigan. It's not necessarily whether it's being good, but spots are constantly being filled, and Ohio State right now in their class is filling spots. And sometimes timing is everything. It's not about, well, he's, he's good enough to play at Michigan and he can find other places. Well, that's not always the case with recruiting because recruiting is about filling up spots, and there are certain situations where if he liked Michigan a lot, enough, uh, liked him enough to commit to Michigan, he might have liked LSU, Florida, and Kentucky a little bit less and now that they're full, they won't have an opportunity to expand or, or explore those things. So you don't want a kid who's making his college decision to have to like make it in a week based on what's available, not what he wants. And the, the bottom line is that it, it, this is going to blow over. I mean, Nick Saban oversigns, right? Alabama has had times in the past where they end up yanking a kid's offer or gray-shirting kids who don't want to be gray-shirted because they're over on their number. Um, and what's the, I mean, what's the effect of that? The guy's got more national title rings than he has fingers. I mean, it's it, 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 he's a legend. You know, I mean, like, the, the coaches end up fine. 
The coaches always end up fine. Nobody gets fired because they pull the kids off or late. That's just not how it works. They might get fired because they lose because they don't have enough good players, but there's really... What do they do to avoid being fired for losing? You pull the kids off and try to get some kid who's a half step better. So there's really no consequence to this. So, I mean, the only consequence is us complaining, is the kids complaining. Is a couple stories in a newspaper, on a website, or... You know, and a really fabulous podcast that's one of the most popular podcasts in America, like this one, talking about it. But there's no, there's not going to be no effect. So I mean, it, it's it's terrible, and and maybe someday we'll see a system where when a kid commits, he can sign and he can get locked in, and and then some some coaches want that, so the schools can get locked in too. You know, who would have loved an early signing period? Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins would be at Maryland right now. And then people would be complaining because Dwayne Haskins might want to transfer because the coach he signed with got fired. But anyway, that's a podcast for another day. But, you know, there's there's going to be no effect other than maybe Jim Harbaugh basically sloughing off a couple hard questions on signing day and him ending up with a really highly ranked class. So, welcome to recruiting. Welcome to college football. Welcome to the business that it is. And it's just unfortunate because in the pros it's a business and men are only involved in that business and... Swenson, who was committed to Michigan since he was two, just to put in perspective, since 2013, he was probably 13 or 14 or 15. I'm not very or 16. Or 16. <laughs> or 17. If he's 18 now, then he was 15, and I was 17 when I graduated. He could have been. Well, he committed late in 2013. But... He could have been 23. <laughs> <laughs> he was a child. He was in fourth grade. <laughs> he might have been in social security program. No, he uh, was a kid, and and it's it's your parents supposed to guide you and. I think that's a you know major part of it, but of course you got to understand that that commitment was made when he was a child. To Brady Hoke, who's no longer there, that yeah. he stuck around. Um, so since we brought him up, we'll talk quickly here about Dwayne Haskins. Um, obviously, a big get for Ohio State. How big? You know, we we did a podcast a couple months ago about the future of Ohio State's quarterback position, and we were I think we basically made Dwayne Haskins the starter at Ohio State, like in. 2018 or whatever, Absolutely. when he was still committed to Maryland. He's won the Heisman already. <laughs> so, you know, we were maybe kind of assuming this might happen, but Bill, I mean, when you look at this, when you look at their quarterback recruiting, um, you guys went and saw Dwayne Haskins live for what he projects to be. How big a deal is this? Huge. Um, I don't know how many, like, how many quarterbacks do you need. It was, uh, yeah, it wasn't surprising. I think Dwayne Haskins is going to be really good. I think it's also... He's not. Um, he's not probably the the runner or athlete that I'm, I think people might think he is. I don't know if he's rated as a, is he rated as a dual threat or a pro style pro style pro style. But he can move. Like we watched him play, and I wrote. I sort of tried to break down his game a little bit as an uneducated scout with zero experience doing that. That he was more like JT Barrett than he was like a Braxton Miller. Um, Dwayne Haskins can can run when he has to, and he's got some pretty good moves. He's big, um, but I think more than anything, you're seeing maybe. The idea, the idea of, of what Urban Meyer wants in a quarterback maybe shifting a little bit. Yeah, but yes. is it, though? Because Okay, so you wrote that he's more JT than he is Braxton. But that was before JT but, was this. But is he more Cardale Jones than he is JT Barrett? Yes, I, I think, think he be might be. Yeah. So Cardale Jones, the quarterback, they didn't know what to do with, and they couldn't put an offense around him to exploit Cardale Jones's talents this season. That's who Dwayne Haskins is? But I think it's possible, too, that that was happening because they didn't know what they had at quarterback. Yeah, it's just like well, I they think have JT. And they can't run the same system with the two different guys. If you come in and you, because Danny Clark is that, and Danny Clark, so it kind of seems but like. But listen, but listen, 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 listen. 
I thought what this year proved was that truly in the end, an Urban Meyer offense will not and cannot maximize its potential without a quarterback who is a run threat, a true run threat. I thought the Cardell Jones experiment put that to bed this year, that whatever he does, he needs a quarterback who in the zone read game is a threat to run and can keep that ball and run. Not just run when needed, but run as a called part of the offense. And now are we looking at a situation where the 2016 quarterback in Dwayne Haskins and the 2017 quarterback in Danny Clark, both those guys are more pro-style guys who are not going to be as natural in the run game? I think, well, we, we saw Dwayne Haskins play when he was a junior. We saw him play in 2014. Yeah. So I don't know how his game evolved into a senior And season. this was before JT Barrett became the run threat that he is and before Cardale Jones existed. But when I watched Dwayne Haskins play, I didn't see a guy who's going to run QB sweeps and keep the ball on read options the way that JT Barrett does. Maybe he can. I just didn't see it in the one game that we watched out of the 40 he played in high school. Well, there was a rumor going around the internet when Ohio State was trying to flip him that he wasn't high on Ohio State at the beginning back in November because he didn't want to get hit a lot as a runner. And, and I don't said, know if that's true, but like he is definitely a pro-style quarterback who can scramble out of situations. He is not used in the game that we saw as somebody who's in the zone read who's going to rush the ball 12 to 15 times a game. Like I saw Joe, like Joe Burrow did more of that kind of stuff yeah. when I watched him play three or four games last year than Dwayne Haskins did in the game that we watched. And I didn't watch a lot of Dwayne Haskins' highlight tape. But that doesn't say, I mean... For all I know, he could be a very gifted runner. I'm sure he is. He's a good athlete. There's a reason why he was recruited so highly by all these different programs. He's a huge body. But he said when we were talking to him, he envisioned himself like Alex Smith, like the point guard of the offense, dishing it out to guys like we talked about JT Barrett being before he started carrying the ball 200 times a year. So I think maybe maybe he's coming into this program with the idea that he's going to be Alex Smith and he's actually going to be JT Barrett. I don't know. Maybe they sort of change that mindset once he gets here. But I don't view Dwayne Haskins right now as a guy who's going to run for 1,000 yards. Alex Smith, who played for Urban Meyer, obviously, at Utah. I mean, Alex, and Alex Smith ran a fair amount. You, where, where's the Google machine? Alex, you know, Smith, Alex Smith did run a lot, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe we're splitting hairs here, but um, that was something I came away convinced from from this year. That it's – it. I mean, Cardell Jones was Ben Roethlisberger, was just a big, strong-arm guy who can shake off a sack – and scramble, but was not comfortable in that zone read type of offense. And I thought this year proved that quarterback cannot work here. When you have all these other guys that you can recruit, um, I mean, they were so dependent on it. It's it's the basis of everything. All Urban Meyer talks about, and all every defensive coordinator that you run across that plays Ohio State, all they talk about are evening up the numbers, the quarterback has a run threat, it, it changes the defense, the defense no longer has that numbers edge, it's a huge game changer, and I think it absolutely is imperative for Urban Meyer to have that. So if you don't have a guy, here's the thing, the quarterback, it's not about really how often the quarterback actually does run it, but I think an Urban Meyer quarterback on every single snap must be a threat to run it. And if they are trying to start a quarterback here that isn't that, 
I don't think this offense is going to be what this offense should be. I don't think they're looking for a guy who's going to stand back there like Peyton Manning and survey the field. I think, I think they want a guy who can run. I think, they, and I guess that's the distinction. But, but it's also, but it's a skill. The skill in the zone. It's a natural skill. That, the thing, because Cardell can run. He was not as comfortable running that scheme. Right. So you have to have a guy, you have to develop a guy who can be comfortable in making that instantaneous decision, decision to give it or keep it. To read that defensive end, to make that play in the moment, and then if you do keep it, to do something with it. I don't know. And maybe two and a half years is enough for them to feel like, because it's possible that these guys are going to be coming in and Danny Clark's not going to be playing here for three more years. Haskins theoretically might not start at Ohio State for two more years. So if he has any ability at all to run, then and he does, uh, they will allow him to develop uh, over the course of time. But he is more like Cardale Jones in my mind than he is like JT. But I'll give JT credit, too. I didn't view JT as a dynamic runner when he first started. True. And he's True. kind of, over time, become more and more of a threat. Now, you know, early on in his career, I mean, that Minnesota run he had, and he he racked up some 500-yard offensive games, um, 400-yard games early in his career. So he's always kind of had it. But when he first took over, and the first game you covered was his Navy game, right? Mm-hmm. Did he strike you as a talented runner at that point? No, not that so, game or the Virginia Tech. Yeah, game. but then yeah, kind you of know, then it kind of exploded. So oh, well, Alex, Alex Smith ran for four fifty two in year one and six thirty one in year two with Urban Meyer. Six thirty one. It's a fair amount. It's a fair amount. That's a that's a run threat. But that's at the not, very least. Yeah, but I think there's a I think the distinction between a quarterback who runs for six hundred yards and a quarterback who runs for a thousand yards is a big one. It's drastic. Yeah. So he. Okay, so so is drastic. What do you mean is drastic? Like when I think of a running quarterback, right? I did air quotes. You can't see me because it's a podcast. When I think of of a running quarterback, I think of a guy who's going to like his first instinct is to run the ball. He's like a passer second. Braxton Miller. Yeah, and he's going to run for a thousand yards. And the thing that he's best at doing is running the football. And I don't think I don't. JT Barrett's not that. I don't. I think Dwayne Haskins is far from that. I think Dwayne Haskins' skill set is far more throwing the ball. Danny Clark. I don't know. I haven't seen Danny Clark play, but he doesn't strike me as that kind of runner either. But I think that I think people assume the kind of quarterback that Urban Meyer wants to run his offense is the kind of guy who can run for a thousand yards and is like a battering ram, like Tim Tebow was. And that's not. I don't think that's what we're seeing. I've written this too, and it's something that we need to consider. Um, but Urban says that. To be successful in this world of coaching, you need to get the best players possible, and then you scheme around them. And I don't know if... He says it. It's yeah, not what he does. He do it. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know. I'm just saying his words will bite him in the butt if he's not, if he's not prepared to do that. So, um, good players are hard to find, changing your coaching. No, they're style. not. They're not hard to find when you're Urban That's Meyer. what he says. I'm just it's quoting It's not true. Him. When you're Urban Meyer, good players are everywhere, and you get to pluck which one you want. Quarterback? Absolutely. Because they've been in the jam at quarterback more than any other position in his entire time here. More so than any other position, they've been in bad situations with the quarterback position, including this year. Haskins wasn't a, we identified him as a sophomore, and we recruited him harder and harder and harder until we finally broke through and got him. It was, holy crap, the athlete that we decided to... 
commit to as a quarterback flip to Oregon as a wide receiver, and now we're just going to because take because the quarterback they had committed was a runner. was such a runner he became a receiver. Yeah. He decided he didn't want to play quarterback in college anymore. Yeah. He was such a runner. Yes, he was Dontre Wilson. He doesn't want to play quarterback. So Doug's story is why Ohio State's future is going to go up in flames because Haskins. Doesn't but listen. The but so you go from you go from a guy who is such a runner he becomes a receiver now to two guys your next two quarterbacks who are committed are bigger guys who are more of a thrower first that's all I'm saying and and truly if you and were, Joe Burrow's dual threat I think we have to throw that in there which is why Joe Burrow will be the starting quarterback for three years for Ohio State as <laughs> which Bill Landis just predicted Bill uh, Landis has predicted that since day one yeah. since he saw him on the sideline he's going to start this year but 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 that really honestly that that if and Torrance if, if they move him back. Oh, but I forgot. I forgot that Torrance Gibson is going to be the quarterback for four years. Uh, and then, yeah. And There's other Joe options. Torrance Gibson. Uh, make sure you put Torrance Gibson's name in the headline of this podcast. And Dwayne Haskins will be an outside linebacker just like Darren Lee. <laughs> Darren Lee. <laughs> but that, in the end, that that really, of, of all the takeaways to me that I will take into the future, based on this season, that's my number one takeaway. You should write about that. That's a good idea. You, Urban Meyer, I'm doing my headline quotes. Urban Meyer, why Urban Meyer needs a running, a quarterback who's a run threat. Threat is the most important word there. But it's someone who can run that zone read. And absolutely must be able to run that. And I think, um, as people who are not football coaches, I think that's a much greater skill sometimes than we give it credit for. To be able to make that, to read the defense and make that decision, and then after you make the decision, make something happen. Well, Braxton was best at, I think. But I, well, but Roman has said Braxton was terrible at the decision. He always kept it. Well, he, yeah. Who <laughs> just like he just thought, well, I can run it better yeah. than anyone else. Why would I give it to anybody? There was no option. There was, yeah, Braxton he he ran the option. Yeah. Of all the things, J, I think it's the best thing JT Bear does. And yeah. Bill was going to write a story about it this year, but he's saving it. For next fall, wait on that. I think it's the best thing JT Barrett does is make that decision, make that read, and make the correct read. And and sometimes, maybe even once or twice a game, do it so well it tricks the defense. Right. You know, I thought this year he kind of kept it more. He definitely kept it more. 2014, I thought he was really, really good at it. And I might be wrong, but I think Tom Herman might have said he's like one of the best I've seen at doing that. That mesh point, the read option of pulling it out later, keeping it in. The mesh point. But I thought there were times this year where he made the wrong read. And I think that was part of the overall problem with the quarterback position is that JT Barrett wasn't always prepared because he didn't know if he was going to start or not. So are you surprised Tim Beck's back? Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I think he when when everything is sort of clicking for JT Barrett, he's really, really good at that. So... Uh, the mesh point is that the name of either your yacht, the thoroughbred horse you will buy, or the cover band of '80s for '80s songs that you are the lead oh. singer for. Either cover band or yacht. Cover band. I don't like both. I'm afraid of them. cover band. Okay. Yeah. Mesh point. Pirates. <laughs> um, so that's the bad podcast. Oh, what do we call the podcast? The, the dab. The dab, dab podcast. Yeah. I went. I reverted back to the old ways. Um, we're going to have some more podcasts coming. Um, we have to look at. Ohio State for 2016 and where we think this team uh, will rank in the preseason and where we think they have some guys back and where they think we think they have some holes, and it's mostly holes. So um, that's also a good name for a cover band, mostly it's also holes. A movie. <laughs> he's Bill Landis. He's laughing. He's Ari Wasserman. He's drinking a cup he just tried to set on fire. <laughs> and I'm Doug Maurice. Follow us at Ohio's, uh, what is it, cleveland.com Ohio slash OSU. We're <laughs> Cleveland.com slash OSU. Thanks for listening. 
to the bad podcast. <laughs>